Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5, we've been in this particular passage a couple of different messages of late. This has been kind of an erratic series because of travel and special events and speakers going on. Um, and so we're going to come back to it this morning. Uh, and so we started off several weeks ago with a couple of messages on sin. Uh, and then we're just kind of working our way down some baseline terms that we often use in church that a lot of times newer folks come in and they're unfamiliar with those terms. We continue to talk as if they know what we're talking about. Uh, and we've not done an adequate job many times over the years of kind of getting everybody up to speed on what those things are. Uh, and so we're attempting to do that. If you're new this morning, you're kind of jumping into the middle of that. But this is going to be about one thing this morning. Romans chapter 5. Uh, and because we've been here so often, we're not going to read a lengthy portion of the text uh, leading into where we're going to pick up. He's explaining that because of one man's sin, because of Adam's sin in the garden, that sin has been passed upon all of us. You find that in verse uh, number 12, and he makes that case again in the text that we read this morning. Uh, and so he's made that very clear. We are sinners because one man sinned, Adam, and he passed that nature of sin down to us whenever we uh, were conceived. Uh, and verse 15, we'll begin this morning, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. We'll talk about that word in just a moment as well. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore... As by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men by condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, Grace did much more abound. That is, as sin reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to speak to you this morning on the thought, what is righteousness? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word that you've not just come and made atonement for our sin and made us righteous and the possibility that we can receive Christ and have the understanding of our need and uh, be redeemed, have eternal life. Lord, what a blessing. Thank you that you didn't do all of that and then leave us to try to figure it out. But you wrote it all down that we might understand, that we might be able to study, that we might learn through a lifetime of study what it is to walk with you, to experience all that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. If there's anyone here that's never truly trusted you as their Savior and you alone, May today be the day of their salvation. Lord, others perhaps that uh, we've 
struggled through life or we're struggling now. Lord, I pray that you would be drawing us to you. Lord, help us to appreciate uh, that, that the Christian life is not about trying to be something. It's about allowing you to mold us and make us into what you've already made us and determined us to be. Lord, I pray that you'd help that to be clear this morning. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, he talks here about the offense bringing us to condemnation. I want you to understand this concept before we really get started. In John chapter 3, and we all hear John three sixteen often, but most of the time we stop at verse 16 and we don't continue on. We like that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, and we like that if we put our faith in him, we believe in him, then we have eternal life. But notice what he says in John three seventeen: For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Why is that important? It's important because oftentimes you hear an argument made by those that are biblically illiterate uh, or that want to deny Christ that God that loves couldn't condemn people. Uh, God did not condemn us. We were condemned by our sin. And understand the difference. God said when he created us, you have two paths to choose. Choose this path and you walk with me. Choose this path and you have death and condemnation. It wasn't that God condemned us. God gave us a choice and our choice triggered condemnation. Notice what he says in, uh, so Jesus didn't come to make us condemned. He came to bring us back. He came to draw us to himself. Notice in verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Understand here, I don't have to do anything except be born to be condemned. That's all I have to do. I don't have to go out and live what anybody would determine a good life, bad life, wicked life, uh, holy life, righteous life. All that was necessary for my condemnation was my birth. Why? Pastor, that seems rough. That's the choice that Adam made for me. That's not the choice that God made for me. That's the choice that Adam made for me. And that's been passed upon us. And that's what Romans chapter 5 is talking about when he says that as by one man, sin passed upon all the world or all men and death by sin. And so God told them, if you choose this, it brings death. That death was as we were created in the image of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We were created in that image, body, soul, and spirit. And when we sinned, when man sinned in the garden, the spirit died. That, I'm not trying to overcomplicate it, but it's important that we understand that we are, without Christ, a dichotomy. We are only two parts, a body and a soul. There is a spirit that's there, but it lies dormant. It's dead. All right? And you'll understand scripturally why, uh, that, what, how God works to bring that back to life in a moment. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Uh, and so uh, he makes the case. So what we started several weeks ago now, we, we spent a message on what is sin. We're talking today about what is righteousness. What is sin? Uh, because we want to, in our analytical minds, we want to classify and we want to put specific things down as a sin. And there are things that are sin. Greed, envy. Uh, those types of things. There's a list of seven things in Proverbs that we call the deadly sins. Uh, and, but sin is much more than that. Sin is not just 
doing something that's wrong or not doing something that I'm supposed to do. Sin is failing to live up to what God created me to be. God created me in his image to walk in fellowship with him. And a failure to live up to the standard that God set. The word uh, in transgression and iniquity that are used throughout the New Testament specifically refer to the term of missing the mark. I'm aiming at the target, but I'm missing the target. I'm, uh, I'm not hitting the bullseye every time. Uh, and so I'm, uh, I miss it sometimes. Uh, I'm dead on and sometimes I get way off and uh, sometimes I'll <coughs> shoot great and then there'll be one or two rounds that are way off. But, but righteousness requires perfection. God created us in perfection. Sin ruined the perfection of God's creation. So we talked about sin being that and what sin then did. We talked a mess, spent a message on what did sin do? Sin separated me from God. Sin caused the spirit that was in us to die. Sin set, put a curse upon the earth. Uh, and so before sin in the garden, the, thorn, the rose had no thorn, the bee had no sting, the snake had no bite. Uh, and so all of the, the, there was no disease, there was no sickness, there was no flu, there was no cancer, there was uh, none of those things existed uh, prior to sin. Those things are a result of the curse of sin upon the earth. That's what sin did. God didn't do it. Sin did it. Uh, and so when we understand that, that that's what sin did uh, and we look at that, we are, because of sin, broken. We are incomplete. We are empty because there's a void where the spirit should be that, that we try to fill with all kinds of things. We fill it with work. We fill it with relationships. We fill it with drugs. We fill it with alcohol. We fill it with all kinds of things because there's an empty void that cannot be filled or satisfied because the only thing that will satisfy it is God. It is, it is God shaped and sized within our heart and he's the only one that can perfectly uh, fill it. That is damage to us caused by sin. We are all damaged, ruined, a perfect creation of God ruined by sin. So pastor, but that's not my fault. It's not about fault. It's about position. It's about my position in Christ and understanding where I am and where he is and what he's done for me. Because of sin, God intervened. God was not willing to look at us and say, you know, you sinned and so I'm done with you. God said, you've sinned, but I love you. And God on the one hand has his wrath at the sin, has his justice that has to be satisfied, uh, has the law that has to be fulfilled, uh, that is, that those things cannot just be simply ignored. God can't look at them and just say, as a holy, righteous God, he cannot just look at them and say, well, you know what, I love you, so it doesn't matter. I'm just going to not see that. I'm going to choose to look away. I'm going to choose to ignore. I'm going to choose to neglect. He can't do that. That's not in his ability to do. You say, well, God can do anything. He can't do that. And so he cannot compromise his character. He cannot compromise the essence of who he is. He is God. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. And just because he loves me doesn't change the fact that he's still all of those things. But because he loved me, he said, I'm going to do something to reconcile you to me 
that you cannot do for yourself. You see, no matter how good I become, no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I work, no matter how disciplined I become at modifying my behavior, uh, no matter how many new leaves I turn over, it will never be enough to bring me back to what God wants me to be. I saw an article this this morning, actually, uh, that was on a major news app of a man in Montana uh, that earlier, I think the week of Thanksgiving, was mauled by a grizzly bear. And before he could, it just came up on him. Uh, he was with a father and son that were tracking a shot deer. Uh, and he had passed some, and he was 61. He saw some people that were older than him uh, that he said they probably didn't even have any bear spray with them. He was actually grateful that he was the one that it got. Uh, and so uh, this bear, he said it was just on him, nine foot tall, on him, clamped down onto his face. Uh, crushed and, and, and basically took off his, his jaw. Uh, and so he had, he had a weapon, but it misfired uh, and he couldn't get to his spray. And the people coming eventually kind of scared the bear off. They got him medical attention and they've done reconstructive surgery. They've, uh, they're, they're in the process of what will be a probably years long process of multiple surgeries to try to reconstruct his jaw. Let me tell you something, no matter how good the surgeon, no matter how skilled their ability, he will never, ever look the same. That jaw, that jawline, those teeth can never be restored to their perfect condition before the attack. That's us in sin. No matter how skilled, no matter how disciplined, no matter how determined, no matter how committed, no matter how, uh, how much we're willing to work, no matter how much we're willing to sacrifice on our own, it will never, ever be enough to bring us back to, to be reconciled to God. It's not possible. It is impossible. And so God looks at us in our sin and he says it is impossible for you to come to me. So I am going to come to you. And Jesus came. And he came born of a virgin. Without the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam. Making him uniquely qualified as man. And uniquely qualified as God. To be the one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. The one that looked at us in our sin and did the satisfying of God's wrath and God's justice and God's judgment. He came. And by his sacrifice, by his death on the cross, by his resurrection from the grave, he stands able to be our savior and to bring us back to God. Jesus, through salvation has given us a new birth. In John chapter 3, prior to verse 16 and 17 and 18 that we looked at this morning, is Nicodemus coming to him, what must I do to have eternal life? You must be born again. What in the world does that mean? Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, uh, we see that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And what does that mean? Regeneration means to be reborn or to be made alive again. And so that means that when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in my heart 
and brings back to life the spirit that died when man sinned in the garden. No one can do that but God. No church can do that. No confessional can do that. No communion can do that. No baptism can do that. No amount of attending church services can do that. No amount of good works can do that. Only God can do it. It is a miraculous act of God. The salvation of every soul. It is not something that I've done. It is not something that I can do. It is the salvation. It is the work of God and the heart of man. When man puts his faith and trust and receives the gift that Jesus has made available to us. Our righteous deeds achieve nothing. Without them, with them, we're nothing. But salvation and in salvation, he makes us righteous. Notice verse 19 in Romans chapter 5 in our text that we read. When he says, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Notice that it does not say shall become righteous. Listen, my friend, this morning, you cannot become righteous, but you can be made righteous. If I could become righteous, my works could get me there. But I have to be made righteous. I have to be having God working in my heart to do for me what I cannot do. Great, pastor. I'm, I can be righteous. What is that? The word righteous is a judicial word. <clears throat> and in a judicial sense, it means to be innocent and to be faultless. In other words, God takes me and restores me to a state of innocence, to a state of faultlessness. I, I am no longer guilty. I am in right standing with God. When God looks at me, he no longer sees my sin. When he looks at me, I am hid in Christ. He sees what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. None of us are righteous on our own. We are righteous in Christ. He is the one uh, who is righteous. In 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 5 and verse 21, uh, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, and so we are again made righteousness. Faith brings the imputation of righteousness onto mankind. Well, there goes another word. What does that mean? Look at Romans chapter 4. And so, and I realize this is a little bit uh, tedious, but it's important for us to understand so that we get what we have in Christ, in righteousness. The word impute means to put on someone's account. In other words, it, it's, it's, it, and actually in the Greek definition of the word, it actually gives us example to where if you have 20, if your bank ledger says you have $25 in your account, you have $25 in your account. It, it's, it's not something that you might have. It's not something that you hope you have. It's something that's there. If the ledger says it's there, it's there. There's not anything else debited against it. There's not anything else waiting to come out of it. Uh, there's not anybody, any other bill that's been paid that's waiting for Monday to get here so that it can actually process. If it says there's this amount, then there's this amount. It has been imputed. It has been put on that account. That's what the word impute means. And what God did when he imputed righteousness upon us is he took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he put it on my account. 
My account was bankrupt. My account was deficient. My account didn't have enough money to cover the bill, but God has enough to cover the bill. And so he took what was his and he put it on my account that my bill might be paid, that my way uh, might be made possible for me. Now notice in Romans 4, he gives us the example of Abraham. Uh, and so in verse number uh, 3, it says, For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. The word counted in Romans chapter 4 is the same Greek word that's also used throughout Romans chapter 4 for imputed. So counted and imputed in this chapter specifically are completely interchangeable. When you, where you put one, you can, you can use the other. Uh, and says now to him in verse 4, that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Because of my sin, I have debt. But because of God's love, I have grace. Uh, and so in verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted or imputed for righteousness. So faith in Christ brings God's righteousness counted on our account or imputed uh, to our account. Now notice at the end in verse 18, God has promised Abraham that he is going to have a son, that that son is going to become the father of all, many nations. That son is Isaac. But Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's 100 years old. They are, they are dead uh, as far as childbearing goes. Uh, it, is, it is impossible uh, for them to conceive a child. And, but in verse 18, it says, Who against hope believed in hope, talking about Abraham, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him, but for us, for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And so what's he saying? He's saying as Abraham believed God, trusted God, and God put righteousness, counted him righteous because he put his faith in him to give him Isaac. So God has given an us and imputed to us righteousness if we'll believe in his son. In Romans chapter 10, he said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What are you getting at, Pastor? I'm getting at this. Righteousness is not achieved it is received. It is something that God gives me. It is something that God does in my heart. And when I recognize that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he came to this earth and lived a sinless life, that he offered himself up as a sacrifice on the cross to make atonement for my sin, and he rose from the grave because the grave could not hold him. When I believe that and I in faith trust him, then I receive the gift of salvation or righteousness. The gift of imputed righteousness. Again in Romans chapter 5. 
Notice that he says in verse 17, For if by one man's offense death is reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. What is the gift that I get when I trust Christ as my Savior? Righteousness. He gives me the gift of standing before God right with him. God seeing not one sin, God seeing not one scar, God seeing not one fault because he chooses not to look at an infallible man, but his infallible son. And he looks at what Jesus has done and he gives it uh, to us. We do not become righteous by performing righteous acts, but our behavior will become increasingly righteous because we have been given or made righteous. When God made me righteous, see here's the problem. What we, this is what we do in religion. In religion, man says, do all of these things and God will let you become righteous. You will be declared righteous. No, Jesus said, put your faith and trust in me and I will make you righteous. And when I make you righteous, I am fundamentally changing the essence of who you are. Romans or 1 Corinthians 5.17 or 2 Corinthians 5.17 says when we trust in him that he makes us a new creation in Christ. We are new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is he saying? That the nature of sin with which I was born has now uh, been moved aside and a new nature, the spirit that's resurrected in me, has been put in my life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence there and he leads me and he guides me and he draws me and he transforms me gradually into what God created me to be in the first place. Not to be righteous, but because I am righteous. So what is righteousness? Number one this morning, righteousness is a person. Righteousness is a person. <coughs> and his name is Jesus. In 1 John chapter number 2, in verse number 1 uh, and 2, he says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he, that, and he is a propitiation for our sin and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He did not die for some, he died for all. He did not die for a select few, he died for every person that's ever been conceived. He paid the debt for every sin. You understand tonight or this morning that when, when people uh, die rejecting Christ and they are separated from God for eternity in a lake of fire, they go there with their sins paid for. They simply re refuse to accept the gift. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't die for the sins of some. He didn't die for the sins of those that would trust him. He died for every sin that would ever be committed by any person in any time in any age. And by the way, all of your sins and my sins were future. So pastor, what about the sins that I commit next year, 10 years from now, 5 years from now, 20 years from now? If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has removed them as far as the east is from the west. As far as your standing in Christ is concerned, you stand righteous. And when we stand at the judgment, the white throne, where we will be judged as to whether we trusted Christ or rejected him, that's all that matters. There's another judgment for believers. 
where our works will be judged, where our sin will be judged on the status of, uh, of what our rewards will be, what our, what our favor will be, but has nothing to do with our position in Christ. That's been settled. I'm either righteous this morning or I'm not. How is that possible? Because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is righteous. We looked at the verse already in first or second Corinthians chapter five and verse 21, but it says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He is righteous. The innocent, he is without fault. He is without guilt. Righteousness is not who or what Jesus became. It is who and what Jesus is. So we tend to just think of God in the way that we think of ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, is that righteousness is not, Jesus is righteousness. We have to be made righteous. Not only that, Jesus is the redeemer. He came to redeem us back to God. And in Titus chapter number two, uh, in verses 13 and 14, uh, he tells us this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in verses 13 and 14, he says, looking for that blessed hope, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Listen, Jesus is the Redeemer. His righteousness is imputed unto us, thereby making us righteous. Not only is righteousness a person, but secondly, righteousness is a position. It is a position. It is my position in Christ. It is who I am and who I have been made in Christ. Uh, I have been, in Romans 5.19, I have been made righteous. Two thoughts about this before we move on. First, I would say this, righteousness is the believer's position in Christ. In, in Psalm 103, Psalm 103 in verse number 12. He says this, And as far as the east is the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He also states in Hebrews in a couple of different places something uh, similar, virtually the same. And, uh, in Hebrews chapter number 8, in verse number 12, he said, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. When it comes to my position in Christ, when he transforms me, makes me righteous, he no longer remembers my sin because my position has changed. I am now a family member. I'm no longer on the outside looking in. I've been birthed into the family of God and nothing can ever change that. Not only that, in God's court, the believer stands innocent of all charges. The believer stands there uh, without any, uh, any charge that can be laid to their account. Listen, uh, we do not become righteous over time. We are made righteous in an instant. He talked about the free gift being a, of many offenses unto justification. Justification literally means in the Greek word acquittal. We have been acquitted. It is the act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable and acceptable to him. In other words, I'm no longer guilty, but I'm acceptable to God. Because God made me righteous, 
I have been justified. Because when God looks, it's no longer sinful man. It is righteous man. Righteousness is a position. And we don't do it. Jesus did it. We sing the song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Uh, we talk about uh, how his blood paid the, uh, the, the, the debt for us. And it says, before the throne, when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat that Jesus paid it all. So pastor, how does that relate to me as a Christian? Too many Christians are living their lives trying to be righteous instead of enjoying a relationship with God and allowing him to make them righteous over time. We are judging whether we're right with God, whether we're empowered by God, whether we have joy of our heart by a checklist of things that we want to try to do so that we can be righteous, feel righteous, look righteous. But the truth of the matter is, is that what he really wants is a loving relationship in which we listen, in which we yield, in which we're led, in which we allow him to guide us and to shape us and to transform us. Righteousness to the Christian, thirdly then this morning, is power. It was the power that saved me. It is the power that puts me in a position to come boldly before the throne of God and offer my prayer, to seek his forgiveness for my sin, to cleanse me from uh, the sin that I accumulate from day to day. Righteousness is power. What power? It is the power of God's grace. Notice in our text in verse 20 and 21, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In other words, there's, there's, there's all of life up until <coughs> Adam and Eve and Abraham and, uh, and Isaac and, and Jacob, and they get into Egypt and 400 years of slavery in, to the Egyptians, and, uh, and sin is there. Sin is working. Sin is moving. Sin is there. But when the law came, sin abounded. It was front and center. It was, it was unavoidable. It was like every little thing that they did pointed to their sin. And that was the purpose of it. But when Jesus came, grace abounded. And where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Where sin is prominent, the grace of God overshadows it. Where sin is overwhelming, the grace of God is uplifting. And he brings it to us. It is the power of God's grace in the life of a believer, not just to the saving of the soul, but to living the abundant life that Jesus promised that he would give. When we stop trying to do it on our own and yield ourselves to him and let him do it through us, we have joy and we have peace and we have freedom and liberty. Amen. It is the power of God's grace. It is the power to be transformed. Listen, transformation of a Christian's life, transformation of our soul, the resurrection, the being made alive again of our spirit is an instantaneous act. It happens in a moment. But the transformation of this old carcass is a long time coming. It's like in the spring, we have these wonderful little stinging caterpillar creatures that come out uh, and attach themselves all over our house with such ferocity that even a pressure washer, uh, it makes it a, it's, it's a, still a struggle to get them off. And they're there for months before they finally begin to emerge. Once they emerge, they're fully transformed. One year, years ago, some, some school kids in one of our classes got, uh, uh, found a, a gypsy moth cat cocoon. They brought it in and they put it in a little 
uh, like a little cricket basket like you'd use to put crickets to take fishing. And they put that cocoon on a stick in there and it was in there for so long that I thought the thing was just dead. I mean, I never thought that that thing uh, would emerge. And lo and behold, several months later, it emerged. It was deformed because it couldn't fully open its wings while they were still wet. But it emerged. It was before a caterpillar. It was now a fully developed gypsy moth. You know the DNA of that creature? If you were to run the DNA of the caterpillar, what would come back? Gypsy moth. There's no difference between the caterpillar and the fully developed butterfly or moth that, that emerges from the cocoon. It is the same. It's one creature. And the DNA within you, spiritually, when you trust Christ, is transformed into that of a believer in Christ, the righteous soul before God. No matter how bad I may look on the outside, no matter how long I may have to go, no matter how long I need to stay in my cocoon, before I emerge, the DNA is the same. But at the process of transformation is long. Sometimes we feel so much pressure to, to, to upheave our life when we trust Christ in order to uh, feel as if God has done something productive in us. But that's not the way he works. Here's the way he works. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable for, before God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is that process for me as a believer it is the power of God in my righteous condition to come to him and yield myself and say the sacrifice that you gave for me bodily on the cross I give for you in my altar my life is yours he does not come this morning requiring that you that you go to a literal cross and shed your literal blood and give your literal life he says give me your life I want a living sacrifice that I can work in, that I can love, that I can develop, that I can use to show the light of my love to others, to draw all men unto me. That's the burden. That's the, the process and the longing that God has for us. Righteousness to the Christian is power to have peace and to have joy and to feel and experience the love of God and to be freed from the burden and the power of our sin. It is the righteousness. It is power. It is position because it's from a person, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is righteous, and he can make you righteous. Believe, say, Pastor, but I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and you look at my life, you wouldn't say it's righteous. It's a good thing God's not looking at your life. He's not looking at my life that way. When he looks at my life, he just sees Jesus. He looks at my life to transform it, to correct it as a loving parent corrects their child. But I am his child. Nothing can change that. Listen, the Holy Spirit transforms us into what Jesus has already made us to be. We're not trying to become. We already are. A life of righteousness is the outflow of transformation. It is not a labor of conformation. God is not looking for conformity. God is looking for us to come to him helpless with our only hope in him that we might accept and receive the righteous, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, who then gives us the gift 
of righteousness, the gift of justification. Notice in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. What is salvation? It's the gift of righteousness. The gift of taking me from a fallen, wrecked, incomplete state and making me completely and fully a child of God. I can't work my way to that. I have to yield to him, believe that he is who he said he is, believe that he's done what he said he's done, believe that I am in the predicament that he says that I'm in, and trust him to lift me from it, to receive me unto himself, and to take his righteousness, to put it on my account, so that when I stand before God, he sees not a corrupt, sinful man, but he sees the righteousness of the one that came to redeem me.